Well, there's an idiom that you may be familiar with. In fact, you probably are. You probably used it at some point in your life. It's an idiom that, that was first found in print in 1716. And it's an idiom that Ben Franklin used in one line of a letter that he wrote in 1789. So here's Franklin's quote. Here is the idiom. Hopefully you can pick it out. Our new constitution, says Franklin, is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Have you heard that before? Well, this is somewhat of a very pessimistic thought, isn't it? That the only thing that's certain in this life even though it is true, is death and taxes. But the biblical perspective is something that's much grander, something that really is full of hope. The biblical perspective is that the one thing above all else that we can be certain of in this life is the eternal salvation of God's elect. That's a guarantee. That's a promise. That is a certainty. That is our hope. You may know this doctrine as once saved, always saved. Our confession of faith labels it perseverance of the saints, as well as the five points of Calvinism, if you're familiar with the P in the tulip. So take your hymnals, turn to page 858, and you'll find the Westminster Confession of Faith and chapter 17. And I want to read the first paragraph and have you follow along. This is not the Word of God, but it is consistent with the Word of God and subordinate to it, but it does reflect the truth of Scripture. And we read this portion of the confession about the perseverance of the saints, they whom God hath accepted in His beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. This doctrine reflects the truth of Scripture. This doctrine reflects Jesus' teaching in John chapter 6 and verses 35 through 40. So keep your hymnal open, set it aside, now take your Bibles because we'll be referring back to the confession in just a little bit. If you would take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. This is the Word of God, God's Word for God's people. So follow along as I read, beginning with verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. The word of God is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may our souls be revived with these words from Jesus even today. So our focus today is on this wonderful doctrine that we find in Scripture, the eternal security of those who are truly united to Christ in saving faith. And before we look more closely at John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40, as we're continuing to look at the dynamics of the Christian life, I want us to consider what an old theologian and one who wrote a study guide to the Confession of Faith, G.I. Williamson, labeled the biblical doctrine of backsliding. So I want us to look at backsliding for just a moment And then we'll go back to John 6 and look at the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. And so a two-point sermon, backsliding and perseverance. And you can write that in on your sermon outline that you'll find in your bulletin. Backsliding. In John Bunyan's depiction of the believer's journey uh, to heaven, the Pilgrim's Progress, we find Christian and hopeful coming to the place in their journey when they actually discuss backsliding. And they discuss backsliding by recalling a man that they both knew from their hometown whose name was Temporary. He was an outstanding religious leader in their hometown. He appeared to be spiritually alive. He demonstrated what looked like to everyone being truly under conviction of sin. He was concerned about his sin. And he, like Christian and hopeful, resolved to go on a pilgrimage uh, to heaven. And so this is the description of temporary, but something happened as they were discussing his life. Temporary met a man called self-save and followed him and was never seen again. In other words, temporary fell from grace. But the reality is the temporary ever have God's grace. And so temporary in Bunyan's work really represents someone who is what I call an absolute backslider. Someone who looks like a Christian, acts like a Christian, talks like a Christian, must be a Christian, except at some point they fall away into apostasy. And obviously an absolute backslider is someone who was never saved to begin with. Temporary is uh, described by the Apostle Peter, or a temporary-like person is described by the Apostle Peter as, as Peter warned the church against false teachers who appear to be Christians but fell away. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. The words of the Apostle Peter. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world 
that is, these individuals that appear to be Christians, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, that is, the things of this world. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And so these individuals that appear to be Christians who really turn out to be false teachers, their true character is revealed at some point like a dog returning to its vomit, sin, and worldliness, like a sow returning to the mire, sin, and worldliness. So the absolute backslider will eventually fall into apostasy. And so that's one type of backslider that we see reflected in Bunyan's work, but we also see reflected in Scripture. Peter writes about a temporary-like backslider. But there's another type of backslider, and I, I call this type of backslider a limited backslider. Maybe you know one. A limited backslider is someone who truly is a Christian, who has been united to Christ in saving faith. Someone who, like the confession says, will never finally nor totally fall away from the state of grace. But this person does fall or lapse from grace for a limited time. And so if you still have your hymnal open to the confession on page 858, we will look at paragraph 3 of that chapter where we read, Nevertheless, they may... Through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalence of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of the means of their preservation fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve the Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts pardoned and their consciences wounded, and scandalize others and bring temporal judgment upon themselves. And so the confession speaks about someone who falls or lapses temporarily from the state or from grace. So the apostle Peter knew about absolute backsliders. He wrote and warned the church against those who appear to be Christian but fall away into apostasy. But the Apostle Peter also knew about limited backsliders. You know how he knew about limited backsliders? Because he was one. Do you remember Peter denying Jesus? A fall or lapse from grace, I would say. And yet, when we look to John chapter 20, Jesus beautifully restores uh, Peter. Another limited backslider was King David, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. David should have been with the army on the battle line, and he wasn't. Remember, he stayed home there in the palace, became complacent, became bored, and he saw Bathsheba. He was tempted. He succumbed to that temptation, committed adultery, then 
proceeded to cover up by having Uriah the husband murdered. And you may remember just what a, an absolute mess David made of things. A lapse from grace, no doubt. And yet we see Nathan comes to him, confronts him. David acknowledges his sin, owns his sin, repents of it, is forgiven, is restored. And we have Psalm 51 to remind us where we can actually see inside the very heart of David as he, as he expresses his penitence and forgiveness. And with all of the sin and all of the mess, grievous sin that David committed, he was not cast out. And I think Psalm 51 reminds us of that. You know, this, this does bring up something about being a limited backslider. I don't think someone is 100% devoted to Jesus and then they get up the next morning and now they're a limited backslider. I suppose that could happen, but typically there's a progression. It doesn't just happen overnight. And Bunyan in his work and in this particular section of the Pilgrim's Progress actually helps us see what a progression into backsliding might look like. I've got nine things I just want to rattle off to you and see if you can identify maybe yourself or maybe someone you know that has actually experienced this. So the progression of backsliding, number one, thoughts turn from God and thoughts likely turn to self. Number two, private spiritual duties like having a devotion or reading your Bible or prayer are neglected. Fellowship with God's people on Sunday morning or at other times is avoided. We really don't like to be reminded of our sin, do we? Public and spiritual duties like worship or being involved in the ministry are neglected. We become critical of other Christians. We associate with the wrong people. Our speech becomes more and more like the world. Sin is played openly. We begin to lose even shame for our sin to a degree. And our hearts become more and more hardened towards God. Are we or have we been at some point in this uh, progression of backsliding? This is just what I think, and you may not agree with me, which is perfectly fine, but I think that at some time and to some degree, most true Christians, if not all, have found themselves being a limited backslider, being somewhere along this progression into backsliding. Now, for the absolute backslider, those who are not truly converted, that progression leads to apostasy and to destruction. But here's the interesting thing, and really the heart of what I want to communicate this morning, that for the limited backslider, 
the true Christian who has a lapse from grace, this progression of backsliding actually leads to repentance and restoration at some point. If you're a believer and you pull a King David, you will not be cast out. Like David, you may suffer all kinds of consequences. There was a riff in his family for the rest of his life. But you will not be cast out. Because see, because limited backsliders are perseverers. And so let's turn now to this wonderful doctrine of perseverance. We'll look at John 6, 35 through 40. The context of John 6, 35 through 40 is Jesus feeding the 5,000. You'll find that in the first 15 verses of John 6. The next day, that is the day after Jesus fed the 5,000, the crowds are, are seeking him. Where is Jesus and where are his disciples? And they find Jesus and Jesus said that you, that you sought me not because you ate, you, you sought me because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so Jesus calls them to partake, in verse 27 of John 6, the true bread from heaven that endures to eternal life. And he said in verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they were seeking Jesus because they ate the bread and the fishes. And Jesus said, that's why you're seeking me, but I call you to partake of the true bread, to partake of me. And so the crowd responds in verse 34, sir, give us this bread. Then Jesus says the famous saying, I am the bread of life. Jesus saying, I am the provision of God that completely satisfies the deepest spiritual longing that a person can have in verse 35. He said back in verse 27 that I am the food that endures to eternal life. And then Jesus says in verse 36 that he, he says this, you see me and yet do not believe. What Jesus is saying there is that just seeing me, just eating the bread that I provide and the, and the fishes that I provide is not enough. You have to believe in me, Re believe in me savingly. And so Jesus then explains how one comes to believe in the true bread from heaven. And so let's look at verse 37. First, in verse 37, Jesus states the doctrine of unconditional election, a doctrine that you'll also find in our confession because he says, or references, all the Father gives me. All the Father gives me. Have you turned to another passage in your Bible? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. We're not going to read this passage of Scripture, but I'm just going to give you snippets of it. But it might be helpful for you to turn there. Ephesians 1, 3 through 12. As we consider this doctrine of unconditional election really as the foundation of how one comes to believe in the true bread from heaven. 
First, in eternity past, God shows some sinners. We find that in chapter 1, verse 4. And his choice, we know, is unconditional in that God chooses some sinners, elects some sinners, not because of anything he sees in them or what they might do, but as we read in verse 5 and verse 11, God chooses some sinners according to his good pleasure and after the counsel of his own will. And then further we read that God has blessed us in Christ, verse 3, chose us in Christ, verse 4, adopted us through Christ, verse 5. In him, Christ, we have redemption, verse 7. In him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, verse 11. You see, this whole passage links God's sovereign choice according to the counsel of his own will with that sinner being in Christ, being given to Christ, being Christ. And so Jesus says, all the Father has given me, all that have been chosen by God that are of the elect of God are mine. And then secondly in verse 37, Jesus affirms the doctrine of efficacious or irresistible grace. He says that the elect, all the Father has given me, will come to me. He doesn't say might come to me, should come to me, hopefully come to me, but will come to me. And when someone comes to Jesus in faith, it is a function of their will, right? We come to Jesus. We move towards him. We believe in him. But as we dig a little deeper, we find that actually our coming to Jesus, the expression of our will, is is a response to what God has already done. The Father chose some sinners to be in Christ, to be regenerated at some point in time, to be given a new nature, a new heart, a heart that loves God, given the ability to respond to Jesus saying, come to me in repentance and faith. And this is simply called effectual calling. And so when Jesus said, you see me but do not believe, he was pointing to the fact that they lacked this irresistible or efficacious grace. And no one can truly come to Jesus in saving faith apart from God doing a prior work in that individual's Life. So this may not be uh, a, the best example, but I just remember at various points when, when our children were little, helping them swim. We would be there at the pool. Okay, they couldn't swim. We'd be there at the pool, and and I would be, you know, holding them up. And man, they'd just be using those arms and kick, kicking those feet. And in their little minds, they were swimming. But if I let them go, they would have sunk to the bottom and drowned, right? But in their minds, they were swimming. But there's more of the story than that, isn't it? In our little minds, we come to Jesus. But in actuality, we are irresistibly drawn uh, to Jesus. God prior does a work of that irresistible, efficacious grace in us. We're given the ability to come, and we come, and we cannot not 
come to Jesus if God's efficacious grace has worked. And so the kids already read this passage of Scripture in Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, which I think reflects what Jesus is saying. But let me read it again, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, get that, dead in our trespasses, unable to do anything, made us alive together with Christ, enabled us to be alive, to come to Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our call to worship this morning. Jesus said, all the Father has given me will come to me because God's efficacious grace, before man makes any move towards Jesus, enables him to come. And thirdly, Jesus teaches the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, which really is our topic today. What I'm trying to establish is the perseverance that, that we so dearly hold really is founded on God's sovereign choice and his efficacious grace. So Jesus teaches the doctrine of perseverance. He says, he promises, whoever comes to me, that is, all given by the Father and all who are, and all given by the Father will have and experience God's efficacious grace, will never be cast out. Do you get that? So all whoever comes to me will never be cast out. So it is impossible for those given to Christ to be cast out. And Jesus tells us why it's impossible in the rest of the passage. Because in verse 38, he says that he came to do the Father's will. And then in verse 39, we read that the Father's will is that none, none of those given to Christ will be lost, but will be raised up. And then in verse 39, we, we find Jesus saying, be raised up to eternal life at the last day. That is, will be glorified. Verse 40. I think this is amazing, amazingly hopeful for us. Because what it says is that the elect, even when playing the role of a limited backslider, will persevere. And Jesus speaks of this doctrine in John 10, verse 28, and chapter 17, verse 12. Paul speaks of it in Philippians 1, 6. Isaiah refers to it in the passage Jim read from Isaiah 43. There are many other passages in the scriptures that, that declare this wonderful, encouraging a doctrine of perseverance of the saints, once saved, always saved. But I'll just simply remind us of Romans 8, 29 through 30, which I think is a beautiful summary of what Jesus is teaching here in John 6. For those whom he, that is God the Father, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The beautiful chain of salvation, the golden chain of salvation in the book of Romans. It all begins in eternity past with God's sovereign choice. And those whom God has chosen to be united to Christ will be 
glorified. And so that's the doctrine of perseverance that we find taught in the Bible. Well, do you know someone like temporary? Do you? Someone who maybe at one point seemed to be a pretty sincere Christian, and yet they have just fallen away completely. Do you know someone like that? I do. It really is heart-wrenching, isn't it? But there's hope for absolute backsliders short of Jesus' second coming. One of the, the statements that, that Bunyan uh, writes, he, he, he points to someone like temporary having fallen from the state of grace. They were never saved to begin with. And they will perish. And we read Christian and Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress saying this, a miracle of God's grace can prevent one finally and totally falling and perishing. And I just want to remind us of those who, whose true character is revealed at some point, and they're like the dog returning to its vomit and the sow returning to the mud hole, that even there there's still hope. God's grace may yet, that efficacious grace may yet, Give them a new heart. But there's certainly real blessing and good news for limited backsliders. There is hope, first of all, in the, in the gifts of true repentance and restoration. Those who are truly Christian, though they may fall far from grace, will be forgiven and restored at some point. Like Peter, like David. Now, let me just ask you, is that good news to you? That's okay news. No. That is our hope. Why? Again, I think this, maybe you don't, that every one of us here, this is what I think about you, that you have or will be a limited backslider. And where do we go with that? Do we perish? No. If we're truly saved, if we've been united to Christ, we will never be cast out. Like Peter and like David, we will be brought to repentance. We will be restored. Well, how certain can we be of this eternal security? Well, I'll tell you how certain we can be because God has put his reputation and his honor on the line. If one of his elect don't get into heaven, he will be shown to be a liar. I think this is incredibly encouraging to us, what God has done. For his namesake, he will never cast us out. That's his promise. And I just want to end with, with really reflecting upon the heart of Jesus. really want to, want to say the heart of Jesus for backsliders, limited backsliders. You go to Matthew uh, chapter 18, 
and verses 10 through 14, you'll, you'll see the, the, the parable of the lost sheep. And so Jesus gives this parable. This, this, this shepherd has 100 sheep. And, and, and one of those sheep goes astray. Uh, has a lapse of grace temporarily. Is a limited backsliding sheep. And so what does the shepherd do? The good shepherd leaves the 99 and runs after the one that has fallen away to a limited degree temporarily and he brings them back home. Now, I don't think what Jesus is saying is this, that he, that he cares for the one who got away more than the 99 who stayed. That's not what he's saying. What he's teaching is the heart, the love he has for those who fall away, those of his children who go astray. Well, how many times have we been the one that went astray? And how many times has Jesus sought us, forgiven us, and brought us back? We read in verse 14 of Matthew 18, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Personalize that. It is not the will of the Father that you should perish if you are his elect, united to Christ Jesus by his efficacious grace and saving faith and promised that Jesus will never, ever cast you out. In this world, there really is one certainty. It's not death and it's not taxes. It is once saved, always saved. And no matter how limited a backslider we may be, Jesus says, I will come after you and I will bring you back and I will never cast you out. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your persevering work in our lives. It is not really our doing that we persevere. It's, it's your doing. And I pray, Father, that you might continually remind us of the fact that when your efficacious grace is poured out upon us according to the electing purposes of God, and where we, we are united to Christ in saving faith, we will never, ever lose our salvation. What a treasure that is. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.